0: Hi again, everyone. Michael here. I'm recording this a few hours after receiving my first COVID vaccine, and so far I'm feeling just fine. I'd cleared out my schedule today just in case I was having some side effects, so I'd take it easy. But since I'm feeling good, I thought I'd finally get around to recording this bonus episode that's been in the back of my mind for the last several months. But before I begin, this should land just a couple days before an exciting event, the City Nature Challenge. If you're unaware, the City Nature Challenge is a global, friendly competition among cities to document the most biodiversity using iNaturalist. If you've listened to me for any length of time, you know that I'm a big fan of iNaturalist. The challenge runs from your local time midnight on the morning of April 30th all the way through to the end of May 3rd. If you've never used iNaturalist, there's an app and a website that you can upload photos and audio of what you see and hear. All life or even evidence of life is fair game for observations, so don't overlook things like mosses, fungi, scat, abandoned wasp nests, you get the idea. And you don't have to be an expert in identification. The tool will help you with that, and even then if you aren't sure, you can simply identify things at a high level like insect or flowering plant, or even life if you're truly baffled by what you found. It's a great opportunity to get outside and learn and get your kids and family involved too. I'll post links with details, including lists of cities that are participating and the local sponsors in those cities. It's quite likely that the local sponsors may have organized some field trips or created some helpful guides. So you might wanna do some Googling and see if you can find more information about your local city's participation. And if you aren't near a city or your city didn't organize to participate, that's okay. There's also a global project. It's a lot of fun and I'll make sure to include some links to some getting started guides, including one that I wrote on my blog. They'll all be at podcast.naturesarchive.com. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to tell you about a couple of great episodes coming soon. On May 3rd, my episode with the prairie ecologist will land, and we'll talk about prairies, of course, but also photography and how to engage in environmental education with people who might not be environmentally minded. Later in May, you'll also get to hear about bird observatories and some fascinating puma or mountain lion research with Dr. Yiwei Wang. On to today's episode. As I said, it's a bonus episode, and in the spirit of experimentation, I thought I'd offer a short tutorial on what it takes to create and lead a great nature field trip. Some of the things I'll talk about today also apply to other educational and outreach activities. Why am I doing this? Well, it's springtime in the Northern Hemisphere, and I've come to learn that a good chunk of you, my audience, are naturalists and docents who lead field trips for your organizations. I'm hoping this episode might serve as a useful tool to you to use in your organization. Please check out the show notes at podcast.naturesarchive.com for the full transcript and links to resources. And please share this episode with any people or groups whom you think would benefit. And like I said just a moment ago, my standard interview content will return next week on May 3rd. Please let me know what you think of this bonus episode by contacting me on podcast.naturesarchive.com or message me through my social media accounts. I'm also recording this because I'm really passionate about the subject. My day job has required that I prepare educational material for many years for different audiences. I've taken courses and have a lot of practice communicating difficult concepts and making those concepts relatable to audiences of all types. I also have a few years of experience leading nature oriented field trips for a variety of organizations and more years attending them. I've experienced great trips and terrible trips. I also recently obtained a certified interpretive guide certification from the national association of interpretation. Through all of these experiences, I've been collecting notes, tips, and practices that make for a great trip, which is what I'm sharing today. So let's jump in. Let's first talk about the framework for putting a field trip together. And by the way, when I say field trip, what I have in mind is usually something that could range from say an hour to maybe even a full day. Then we'll get into the tips and best practices, which I feel are what take a field trip from good to great. Or considered another way, the framework I use covers the what, where, and why of the trip, and those best practices I mentioned cover the how of the trip. The framework I follow begins with picking your subject. Usually you already have something in mind that you're passionate about and you want to teach about. Next, you create a theme and identify a few sub-themes. Since we're talking about field trips, you also must pick your location and know specifically where in the field you'll discuss your sub-themes. This usually means that you need to know the location well, Or, you'll need to go scout the location and be flexible in adjusting what your sub-themes are. So let's walk through this process. First, pick your subject. Maybe it's bird watching, maybe it's plant identification, or something else that you're passionate about. Make sure you are passionate about it, though, because your enthusiasm will be contagious. At this point, your subject can be broad, we'll work on refining it. Once you have your subject, create a theme for your field trip. From experience, I know that half of you are probably rolling your eyes at this point. After all, you just wanna show people cool birds or fungi or whatever. Why do you need a theme? Well, people naturally learn through stories. We rationalize the past through stories and we take more meaning when we see how things fit together. A good theme is going to allow you to show your attendees how things do fit together, allowing them to take away a broader message that they'll be able to retell. A good theme also helps you set an expectation about the trip. We'll talk a lot more about setting expectations shortly. The theme also gives you, the leader, some assurance that even if things you expect to see don't turn up or don't cooperate, you'll have a few cornerstones to rely on, basically a sturdy scaffolding around which all of the trip's experiences will fill in. This is important, too, because you're likely giving a field trip on behalf of an organization. You'll want your theme to relate to the mission of that organization for which you're giving the trip. This will help attendees understand the broader mission better and hopefully plant a seed for their further involvement. They'll also understand the bigger picture about how your trip relates to the organization that you're supporting. Hopefully I've convinced you that spending a few extra minutes to develop a theme is worth it, but what is a theme? Simply put, a theme is a broad conclusion you'd like your audience to reach. Usually, you want to be able to clearly state it in the form of a sentence. For example, you could have a theme of, native grasslands support a surprising array of bird species. Or perhaps, wildfire is an important ingredient for biodiversity. Or even it could be seasonal, such as early spring is an optimal time to find and identify fungi. Even if you're a hardcore birder and your trip is simply to rack up as many species in a day as possible, you could easily create a theme about the strategy of visiting varied habitats, for example. After creating a theme, you'll want to identify a few sub-themes that you can speak to. My default is usually to start with three, but if you have a very long trip, you might choose a few more. Using the native grasslands support a surprising array of bird species theme, perhaps you could pick sub-themes like grasshopper sparrows are easy to hear but hard to see, or nesting habitats of grassland birds are highly varied, and the third sub-theme could be bird diversity is increased when you have edge habitat. It's a common mistake to speak about all of your themes early in a trip because we're usually so excited to share, but be patient. Be deliberate and think in advance about how to space out these discussions on the trip route that you planned. Of course, on your trip, you're going to have excitement when you spot or observe interesting things, birds in the case of this example. So I'll work these sub-themes in between that excitement. When considering the location of your trip and the spacing for the sub-themes, sometimes you can use your route and terrain to your advantage. For example, you might choose to discuss one of your sub-themes midway up a steep part of the trail to create a natural break and a rest stop. So now that you have the what, where and why of the trip, we need to think about how you'll implement the trip. I referred to this as the how earlier, and I feel these practices are equally as important because they take your trip from good to great. So let's get into the best practices. To organize these various practices, I'll start with an overarching requirement to set expectations. Then we'll walk through the practices to use during planning and at the beginning, middle and end of your trip. Expectation setting is critical for a successful trip. And while I'm not going to talk about promoting or marketing your trip, know that it's equally important to set an accurate expectation in your promotional material as well as in person. You may have heard the expression, it's better to set low expectations and exceed them than set high expectations and miss them. While I'm not suggesting that you set low expectations, the bottom line is you want to set a realistic expectation about the trip. Make it clear how long the trip will be, Talk about the pace and how strenuous it will be. Talk about what you expect to see versus what you hope to see, and I'm stressing those words so that you can make the distinction clear. For example, you probably don't want to name your field trip viewing the California condor unless you really have a high likelihood of seeing one, and even then set the expectation that there are always off days, but you'll still be able to cover the condor's natural history and you do expect to see plenty of other cool things too. Almost equally as bad as setting too high of an expectation is setting no expectation. This leaves the visitor's perception of success to chance based on whatever expectation they independently set. So let's talk about planning a trip. Make sure you limit the trip size to an appropriate number. If you are the only trip leader, you may only be able to take a small number of participants. If you'd like to have a larger trip, you'll need to recruit a partner or someone that can function as a sweep and help with those who are unable to keep pace, or also just to help answer questions for a large group. The type of path or trail and the use of those trails may also limit size. For example, a narrow single track trail will space people out more It might make it harder for people at the rear to hear you. Mixed use trails with bicycles might also limit the size that you can manage. In our area, mountain biking is extremely popular. So if the trail is a little bit narrow or there are blind paths, it's important to make sure that your group is small enough that you can keep them out of the way and avoid any safety concerns. Consider how people will get to the location as well and how many cars will fill the lot. Be sure to tell people if there are bathrooms or not, and also if there's a fee to use the location. So the big day has come and you're ready to start your trip. As people arrive, make it clear that they're at the right place, perhaps through signage or clothing that indicates your affiliation. At the start time, of course, introduce yourself, discuss the organization you represent, and the theme of the trip. When you introduce yourself and the theme, give your audience a personal connection, why you in particular are passionate about this trip. This could be as simple as something like, I love this location because I've been coming here since the age of eight, and I'm excited to share it with you. Next, take an opportunity to learn about the audience and set expectations. So for small groups, I often like to go around and have a short first name introduction and have them answer a basic question. For example, what are you hoping to see today, or why did you decide to join this hike? For any sized group, ask if there are any experts in your group. You'd be surprised. There may be biologists, geologists, birders, native plant society members, who knows? You can engage these people and leverage their expertise. More often than not, they'll be happy to help and will feel more connected and the end result is gonna be a more gratifying experience for everyone. Give a short overview of the plan for the day, review how long the trip is, when you'll be back, and estimate high, it's better to be back a little bit early, whether there are restrooms, what you hope to see, and whether there'll be breaks or not. Review trip safety, things like poison oak or poison ivy, rattlesnakes, keeping kids nearby, sharing the trail with bicycles or horses, and staying with the group are always good to cover. And then of course, ask if there are any questions and attempt to answer them. Once you start the trip, remember that the pace that you set is as much about how much you talk as how fast you walk. It can be tempting to stop and talk a lot at the beginning because everything at that point is new for the group, but pace your discussion based on your route. Hold some talking points for later. Remember those sub themes that you planned out in advance. As mentioned earlier, you might want to save some of those talking points for strenuous parts of the route to create natural breaks or allow more walking early if it's a chilly morning so people can warm up a little bit. Make sure to wait until the slower members arrive to start covering your core topics. It's a common mistake to race up a hillside and start talking about something when half of the group is still on their way up and they can't hear you. So this avoids the pitfall of not allowing the slower people to have a break and it allows them to hear what you're saying too. Of course, sometimes the wildlife won't wait and you're gonna have to start talking about what you see before it runs away or flies away or whatever the case might be, so use your judgment. Continuing with the idea of the pace of the trip, adjust your speed to the slower members, especially if health or ability is slowing them down. If you have a second leader or a sweep, you may have more flexibility. When you do stop to talk to the group, make sure you face the sun when speaking to the group. This allows all the rest of the group to face away from the sun. It's a little thing that makes for a more enjoyable experience. If space permits, try to get close to the center of the group so they can all hear you. And maybe the most important little thing that you can do is share in the enjoyment when a group member sees something new, even if it's the hundredth time that you've personally seen it. Offer congratulations and enthusiasm. They're surely going to remember this. Once you reach the end of the trip, there are a few additional things that you might want to consider. Recapping your theme and sub-themes is a good way to do it. And you can have a little informal recap of some of the exciting things that you saw and fit them into your themes. In fact, if you notice somebody on the trip get particularly excited about some aspect of what you did, that would be a great thing to include in the recap. Perhaps you could also add a leading question to the group about what they're going to tell people at work about what they did over the weekend. Mention where people can get more information, especially your organization's website, and be sure to thank everybody and ask for feedback and suggestions. What I've described here today is really just the basics of creating and running a field trip. Think of it a little bit like the 80-20 rule or the Pareto Principle. This rule states that you can achieve about 80% of the results or outcomes that you want from following the 20% most important inputs. So 80% is pretty good. Based on the field trips I've been on over the years, I think that you're typically doing better than average if you can just do that. But achieving that final 20%, it takes a lot of work, practice, and study. So what you have here today is really just a quick start guide to having a good field trip. If you want to get beyond this 80%, here are a few considerations to think about. Depending on the formality of your field trip, there may be other considerations as well. You might have handouts or other materials. Sensitive habitats might require special precautions at the beginning to prevent pathogen spread, for example. If your trip has grant funding or other drivers that require more formality, there may even be a need to gather quantifiable feedback from attendees in some form. The NAI's Certified Interpretive Guide course also provides many additional tools and methods to help you connect with your audience, and there are also many online resources. Okay, so there you have it, a short crash course on creating and leading successful nature field trips. Do you have any specific tips or experiences you'd like to share, or any other feedback about this bonus episode or my standard episodes? If so, please email me at naturesarchivepodcast at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for listening we live in a world where sound bites dominate and true understanding is shrinking nature's archive podcast digs a little bit deeper hoping to help the world understand nature just a little bit more i hope that this podcast has planted a seed of interest that will grow into something special for you i record produce edit and publish a show by myself as a personal passion if you enjoyed the show please rate it on itunes or your favorite podcast service and then please turn around and share this episode with a friend or a family member that you think might like it I'm not asking for money or donations, just a gift of sharing. Thanks for your support. You can also follow me on Instagram at Nature's Archive or Facebook, also Nature's Archive. In addition to sharing information about podcasts at those locations, I also share some of my photography and some short explanations of what I'm seeing. Lastly, if you have any suggestions for guests or topics for me to cover, please email me at naturesarchivepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you. And one last word, I want to make sure to give credit to the music that you hear in the podcast. The opening song is called Fearless First by Kevin MacLeod, and the closing song is called Beauty Flow, also by Kevin MacLeod. You can find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io.